1: Welcome once again. Every quarter we do this, and every quarter it's one of my favorite events. This is our quarterly state of marketing. Here we're going to go through some of the trends, what we're seeing as executives in the marketing world, in the business world in general. And as you guys know, you know we're not just a community, we're an extension of your team. So lean on us where you can. We're here to help you and be a part of everything. We love having you guys. Uh, if you're not a member, uh, we'd love to have you. This is not your echo chamber LinkedIn kind of place. This is Marketer's you know, a community of marketers for marketers by marketers, which is really the gig. And our goal is to help all our marketers better understand the business of marketing, not just marketing, how to do it and use that to move themselves up the ladder to CMO and beyond. So we're super excited to have you guys here. Amazing guests as always, except Daryl. And Mm -hmm. we love you guys. So with that, I'm going to kick it off and let everybody start going. And uh, some of you guys, we may call on you guys. If you have questions, pop them into the chat. That way we can pick them up get you guys going and go from there, but we've got a, a lot of great little topics and content pieces that I think you guys would be excited about. So Sangram, kick it.
2: Yeah, There you go. So you already in the intros. You could probably see, so you're going to, uh, you, you know, the leaders of the CMO group, Daryl, Michael, Caitlin, and James, we, we typically would just talk about this thing with, with Judd and I on different things. So we just started to do this a few, few quarters ago and it has become a thing. Um, so they're gonna. Lord, they have shared so many things. I'm I have a whole full of comments on it. So we're gonna have kick on. But this is again, this is an intimate group. So feel free to just jump in, unmute, and and get into the conversation. Don't don't wait for your name to be called or anything like that. Uh, on that, so I'm gonna just go ahead and ask straight up. There're gonna be three things that we're gonna talk about. Number one, what didn't work. This is my favorite thing. Is like where people we we all can be vulnerable. What didn't work, and and and. and I know James and Michael and everybody, they they literally have a list of like, all right, look, you know what, we're going to be executives, you're going to be vulnerable, here's what didn't work. Then we're going to talk about what worked. This this, this is something that you might want to take a ton of notes on because this is where, and you can chime in as well and share what worked for you because it was a very interesting quarter last quarter for, for most of us because some places were coming out of COVID, some were getting back into COVID, there was all kinds of things happening. So last quarter was really interesting. And then, like, what are we looking forward to doing? What are you going to try new in the coming quarters? And that's really where I think the ideas. hopefully, as you walk away, as Joe said, we want everybody to be one person better. We want you to walk away with a couple of ideas that you say, you know what? I'm going to try that this time around. I want to go and do that. And again, you can also connect one-on-one with a lot of the folks in the community. so, So hopefully you connect with that. So with that... Well, uh, Michael, James, you guys want to kick off what didn't work for you guys? And then we'll love Daryl and Caitlin chime in and anybody else to, to, to rip that conversation apart. So why don't you start, share with what didn't work for
3: you guys? Sure. I think I'll, I'll jump off. And uh, in, in case it's going to be a problem, John, I got a, a text from Damon and John a moment ago saying we're getting sued over the whole FUBU thing. So the for us, by us thing, I, I hope it's okay. Uh, I, I like that, the for us, by markers thing. Though. <laughs> I, I think for us, uh, we actually had a pretty spectacular Q2. And so this one area that we, we fell down, uh, we fell down pretty hard. It was kind of glaring just because it was such, a, such a, a pain point for us. So for those of you out there who have open heads, who are ramping back up, this might sound familiar to you. You know, we had an open head. We were trying to get someone awesome to do it on our spectacular marketing team. And in the past, we had been fortunate to have people research the company, see what we're about, network with the marketers that we have here, and get some really, really quality folks in. And we didn't put a focus on it. I didn't put a focus on it. And we looked up and realized there is such an incredibly hot marketplace now for product marketing, markups, marketing leadership. Uh, it's it's a vacuum out there. And trying to get in front of really quality co- candidates has been very, very difficult for us. I didn't prioritize it. I wish I had. We're sitting here, it's been a quarter that this role's been open. That's crazy uh, for us. And if I had to do it all over again, I would have prioritized this over something else because having the right people on the bus can make all the difference in the world.
4: I'm going to double down on what Michael just said. You know, we we were focused on building a lot of cultural initiatives, really the last couple of quarters, and one of the things that, that we do often is we do these cultural awards, and Um, One of the things that is very evident that we're seeing in the market, not just with hiring and recruiting, but people care about some of the social issues more than ever, right? And I think that one of the things that has always been a tough thing when you're trying to adopt culture internally and get adoption across every function of the business is there's bias across all those functions, right? Um, everybody has different opinions. Everybody wants an opinion. And one of the things that, that we found uh, particularly difficult was, was just getting that adoption across the organization related to cultural initiatives. And I think that we're seeing the result of that in the marketplace today with hiring and recruiting. People care about this stuff more and they're looking at it more and more. And if you're not adopting it, you're falling behind, which is one reason why you might not, might not be able to get talent to come to your company is that's now an initiative and a a focus and for us we we started doing these culture awards internally and we were having like different departments take it over and one thing that we learned very quick quickly was how marketing had the 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 best pulse on what the market really needed and what our actual employees needed So it ended up being a huge mistake for us to hand over like our all hands meetings to other departments because it just like ended up blowing up in our face. So we took that back over and that was a lesson learned for us.
2: Was it just marketing hire or sales hires? What, where was the hiring?
4: It's really all over the place. Customer success, uh, marketing. uh, We have products, uh, roles that we have open. um, And I think that Nine times out of ten, we would always get really close to the finish line with some candidates, and there's some things that we still need to build from a cultural perspective to address certain issues, and I think that those candidates saw those, and they're like, yeah, well, this company's already doing it, and they've already got it in place. So I think that, you know, that's being very vulnerable on this conversation, that I think that we have to look at what's happening in the world today as a lot more serious than than we might think it has impact.
1: Uh, I'm going to jump in, though. So so obviously, most people here know that the hiring piece is an, a bear right now. When we talk about a hot market, and to Daryl's point from the comments, we've seen what people are getting paid, especially in the mid-level roles, blow through the roof. It's it's insane. People with three years of experience, well into the six figures. and one of the things that we're also seeing, which is kind of interesting, is once somebody starts in process, even if they weren't looking, suddenly, if you don't close them quickly, faster than we have in the past, they've already got three other offers in hand. So it's 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 challenging, and I think everybody is is struggling with this, not just uh, from a cultural perspective, but monetary culture and speed.
0: So so I've experienced the exact same thing, and so if I would say what didn't work on a related note is. You know, we had done a good job of having the brand and the experience and the culture and having it out there, but we didn't do a good job where we messed up was having a pipeline of people that was where we totally screwed up and we're paying the price for it now. So always talking to people when you're ready, let us know we you know we're always looking we'd love to have you here to Judd's point. We have seen, and we we try to move fast. We try to we try to be two weeks from start to finish. First time we talk to you, there's a job offer, which that's multiple interviews, the whole you know role playing, whatever it might be, and uh, and still so we're losing people. And we're finding the only way we're able to keep those people for that duration of two weeks, uh, so we can finally get that job offer in front of them and having done our process, is if we have a good brand. So with those people who know our company and physically want to work for us, they're willing to wait it out. So if you don't have a good brand, to James's point, the whole culture thing, and I would put brand as part of that because your culture defi- is partly influencing your brand, then you, you will have a uh, one heck of a time. And as far as salaries go, w- we've been gobsmacked. You know, we started off the, the first quarter putting together what are the right comp plans this year for the open headcount we had for the year. And by the time we got, you know, ready to hire them in Q2 and then big time in Q3, is the numbers were out to lunch and every single recruiter would look at us and say, that won't work. And we're like, we just did this, you know, within the last six months, how could it not work? And we were seeing, uh, for example, on sales roles, let alone marketing roles, sales roles. If you had a four years experience of sales, you could get anywhere from 140 to 180 ballpark base salary, not even talking comp plans, commissions. And you're like, I'm just going to leave the whole executive ranks thing because I don't need this managing people heartache. I'm just going to go back and and do this role instead to help my life would be better. So it's crazy.
5: You know, um, if it, if it makes some of you guys feel better. So we started off by saying, what didn't we do? Right. So we have something like 20 to 30 roles open. And that's something like a 40 to 50% increase in our company size. So every time we can't hire, we can't grow basically. And we do have a foundation for years now that focuses on the cultural issues. We did have a pipeline. We, people do know who we are, but what we don't have is we don't have an owner of it as a strategy, And so it feels kind of like what you were saying with the decentralized model not working. Like the recruiters do a little piece of it. The managers are doing a little piece of it. HR is doing a piece of it. And because there's no holistic strategy to talent acquisition, we are struggling in the very same way. And everything else you guys said, same. So I don't think, I don't know what kind of better outcome you guys could have had if you did much different, but I do think this is an anomaly, a true anomaly that's very difficult to um, plan against because we did know. I've had this problem easily two, three quarters now, just because of our aggressive growth. And it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. And um, so I I tried to get creative because I told the team, what's not going to happen is we're not going to solve this problem by doing everything 10% better. Like, that's not going to fix the problem. So I actually reached out to disadvantaged communities, because I know that there's a lot of talent, but there's those pathways are missing. So I'm like, you know what, I'll train them up myself. I'll find them. And the number of blocks there, like, for example, um, I had an interview with a, a, a very competent sounding woman, at least over interview, over email. And our internet, we were in a different office. Something happened, we missed it. So we rescheduled and then she didn't show up to the second one. So I reached out, I was like, I really like this girl. Where'd she go? And it turned out she was actually homeless. And so she didn't have access to the video. And so you have this one area of the industry where you know two years out of college are getting like who knows how much and then you have talent over here that because they don't have access to internet that can't do an interview so when i saw it i'll let you guys know but if it helps um i was prepared and it didn't give me much of a better result
1: i am seeing one thing though that's winning is the people who the, the hiring managers who are owning their roles And taking time to sell the opportunity and create a relationship with the candidates are doing much better, probably at least 50% better. So a unified process is something we're seeing very helpful, but that ownership of the role is extraordinarily important and seems to be really making a difference for those that are hiring.
6: Yeah. Unified process is key, I think. And um, also the focus on what you're looking for. So at Intuit, we really have a really strong, obviously DEI focus as well. And that has to be in the panels, in the slates, you know, everything that we're we're doing. So I hired I actually got five rolls over the wall in July, (laughs) so I've been working on them for quite some time. But to the point being made, it was my focus. I had to get these in in order to get to the um, get the team moving and to get some wins on the board and to get. We're building a global demand center organization for mid market from scratch and had to have the throughput but it does take a lot. And the good news is I think um, I was just going to add in, there's a lot of great diverse candidates. And I think, opening up the aperture to hiring across the country, um, really looking for where the best talent is, um, regardless of where they live. But, you know, making them a part of your organization and being open to, you know, where they reside is, I think, another important piece of that to really be flexible. And they might be able, they're going to have a home office with us at Intuit. But at the same time, they'll travel to core, you know, centers where we all gather up as we start to reopen. But we're definitely Looking for you know a lot of diverse talent, making sure that's a priority, as well as you know looking for that regardless of where the talent lives to make sure we get the the best that we can.
1: I, I, I want to kind of sort of change the subject in a way. So obviously the talent piece and the focus is really difficult because the amount of money that's been pumped into a lot of companies and now we have massive goals to achieve. So it, how easy is it to stay focused on these goals while trying to achieve? The like achieve the goals and focus on the hiring because if you don't hire you can't grow so the I, I think that also there's a a big issue with expectations right now, and i don't know anyone else running into this
3: oh yeah <laughs> fine
0: expectations
2: <laughs> revenue
0: revenue okay as opposed to compensation as opposed to work culture
2: i mean ultimately you know one one thing that i've i've, I've always seen is the the that your culture needs to feel like they're winning at all times. And winning doesn't mean revenue. Winning in, in many ways is revenue, but in winning it means that every team is growing, every team is building on things, there's progress, there's always going to be issues and deals lost and all that kind of things, but there is progress, there's meaningful progress made in an organization. And in a growth stage company, which seems like a lot of us are right now in, hiring becomes one of the key key levers to actually create progress. So for example, at Terminus, we we hired over 120 people this year, like over 120 people in just this year. And it has literally progressively gone, got, gone worse in in the way the hiring is because of all the things that we all have talked about. So to me, just hearing all of you say that I, I don't know, the biggest takeaway, it's it's like a therapy session right now for me. It's like, it's just making me feel like, okay, we're all having bad things. Awesome. I feel great about that fact. So to me, thank you for that therapy moment there.
0: I mean, we've had to go back to the board and manage expectations because we haven't been able to hire the people we wanted to hire. It's having a dramatic effect. And it's not that we won't hit our revenue targets, but we're saying, listen, we thought it might happen. This number in Q3, that might get pushed out to Q4 now just because uh-huh. of the ramp of, new hires and the contribution etc so i it's a little bit of therapy going on here too and lord knows i need a lot of therapy so thank you folks i'm grateful
4: (laughs) yeah i'm I'm with daryl there i think that we've we've had to do the same with our board and reset expectations on revenue targets being pushed that normally would come in in a certain quarter i mean we've had to do the exact same thing and i think we're going to have to continue to do it you know who knows what the next next six months is going to look like also just in the world right and how things are changing and so you know we may be back into a pandemic you just never know so i think you have to set those expectations
2: um realistically with with your board all right well let's talk about the other part on on this side And, and maybe everybody can just drop in the comment is your budget going up or down in the next quarter I just want to know that as thing. And so as you're talking about it, what is the one thing that actually worked last quarter uh, for you guys? And maybe Caitlin, we can start with you.
6: Sure. So overall, my budget is going up, building out the global demand center. What, worked for me was we were finally able to get propensity scored, enriched leads through our whole process from top of the funnel, nurtured all the way down to SDRs, over to sales, over to partners, and actually closed our first deals with an ARPC of 33% higher than Target. So we were super excited about that. That's, you know, working really well. This is going after a new segment for us, which is we have products we sell into the mid-market, but we really haven't been addressing the audience as a whole. And we're going after that specifically here. So that was one of the things I think uh, that worked well for us. And the budget for this year, this is our first quarter. So we have to be super bold and creative this first quarter. We're a SaaS company. So rule 78 wins. So what we close and do in Q1 rule, you know, basically guides the rest of the year. And so we are really doubling down on how to be bold and get out in front of our targets for the first quarter so that we can You know really have a a tremendous year our stock price is definitely showcasing that and we want to continue that role right now and uh, that's a really strong challenge given um how much we've improved over the course of our fiscal 21 so that's a little bit about what we're up to
2: what's up on on your side like is i mean i see a lot of every almost everybody saying the budget is going up um is that, but also seeing the scrutiny. So Daryl, double click on that. What, is, what does that look like?
0: I'll give an example, events, right? So you got all this money spent on events. Where's the ROI on that? And clearly we know events have been the desert for the last year, year, year and a bit. So, and the problem with that, as you see, is that all of a sudden, because we had a pullback on events, the cef the c levels the ceo the cfo the ceo are kind of like we just saved yeah maybe we had to push our revenues from q3 to q4 as we're talking with james and advising the board because of the hiring but look at we saved our way to our actual ebitda numbers so can i keep on saving my way right so so this is that back and forth constantly with marketing um so we're getting a lot of scrutiny on that one i was just giving an an answer on the community question you know we've invested in community for a long 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 time but again we're getting a lot of scrutiny from people saying, "You know, where's the ROI on community?" You know, because if there's no ROI there, then we can reallocate those funds elsewhere. Because salaries have gone up as we try to hire more people, so where can we grab that money from? So we got events, we got community. Uh, those are a couple of areas where we're getting a lot of scru- uh, scrutiny because they are trying hard to afford the new comp plans. Otherwise, how do we how do we grow?
2: How do you budget the? what percentage of budget is where like how much is what percentage of budgets are brand versus demand versus enablement customer advisory and stuff
0: i'll just say i won't answer the question i'll just say brand is like always the biggest conversation everybody who's not in marketing thinks branding is a waste of time and spend like it is non-freaking stop and yet ironically When we do get people applying for jobs, it's because people like myself Mm -hmm. and others and our company who have visibility and brand attract the applicants, not the job postings, not Indeed, not the recruiters, it's the brand. So we get massive, massive ongoing continued pushback on that.
4: I want to answer Eden's question. So we're not rolling out necessarily a community platform, so to speak, but we are... Using very specific brand campaigns to build community. So like, for example, we run this annual contest called Right on the Money, where we build a community around credit unions and credit unions are able to be recognized for the great work that they're doing by industry thought leaders. And that sort of builds this niche community with our specific ICP so we're doing things like that. And it also involves our current customers as well so that they can have advocacy in the, in those moments because it's a very, very big deal for our for our audience to do that.
2: What's, uh, where where does everybody see the budget? Is, it, is the budget shifting from digitals to events again or at least to test it? Or, because that was a big shift that I saw pre-COVID and, and like literally last year and a half. Almost every company had a budget and they had a ton of budget towards events and the events shut down, people just moved their budget into digital advertising, digital stuff and content and whatnot. And now I'm seeing a little bit cautious but I'm seeing a shift back into the events. That means taking money from another, the same bucket, the digital bucket and putting it in events. How are some of you guys seeing that?
1: And, and the question would be, has anyone actually done a live event yet? So-, so
6: we have our first coming up so we've done we did our first virtual event you know with this vertical with our vertical work this last week and that went well and we're starting to put more into events and we have our first actual physical event coming up you know probably you know in this in the fall and it's starting slow when we saw last saw this in the Um, kind of the 2008, 2009, the recovery took about two to three years fully for events to come all the way back. And I think that I don't foresee that this is going to be too terribly different all in, but we are starting to see us, you know, moving back into some physical events, excited about that. Definitely, you know, curious about the ROI, but in the meantime, really still double down on webinar one to many other virtual experiences and trying to figure out better ways to improve that connection in a virtual environment um while we continue to see how physical events come back
0: we participated in our first event in june and that was scary as hell for some of us uh-huh. uh, our next one is not our next one's not until november and all both of these are legacy investments made in 2019 that you know they finally rescheduled we basically had negligible money allocated back in you know the fall of last year when we budgeted for 2021's you know, marketing spend. What I am seeing is I am seeing a lot of uptick in interest in events, but I'll qualify in saying where I'm seeing a lot of the interest from, though, are those organizations, those firms that are heavily venture or equity backed. Other firms who have to actually, you know, demonstrate, you know, an actual other profit or break even are much more hesitant to make that jump right now into events until they're more established. That's what I'm seeing.
7: Kunal said, I'll jump in here. What we are seeing is our overall marketing budget is going down, but the marketing budget shift is happening more from a direct GTM to a partner marketing channel. So joining forces with partners and going together in the market, that's that's helping us increase our pipeline and revenue from a marketing perspective also.
2: Wow. Well, Alex, you mentioned Alex. I see you said like that you've done four events. I don't know if anybody has done that many actual events in like four. Can you just share a little bit about like what kind of events, how many people, location, budget? Well, you know, what what are these events? Who's coming to it? With mask? No mask? What's going on? Smaller event. Okay, maybe I don't know if the audio videos work in. So I see smaller venue. Oh,
3: Top Golf type events. Okay. I didn't get the invite for that. That's weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's It's, McHoney, it's
0: M it <laughs> yeah, Sorry about that. Yeah, we, we've we been doing, like I said, we've done a couple of top gossip. We're targeting around 30, 40 people. So very small, very focused, targeted audience. Um, so, and they've been pretty successful. The first one was probably the hardest, and I think it was in June. So because of the fact that people were just starting to reopen, uh, we didn't get as many there. But Atlanta, Nashville, So we're targeting states that have uh, less issues around masking, and they're opened up a little bit longer than some other states. Towards the later half of this year, we're going to be up in the Northeast, so we'll see how those events go. That's awesome.
2: And uh, I see, Lydia, I know you're you're on audio. Unlike you guys are doing a lot more cab-oriented things, because I think the customer advisory, like we, we definitely have done that twice now, uh, in the last year and a half virtual one we did recently that was so I wouldn't consider that as an event in my head but now now that Alex mentioned I think that's the one event we have done is just getting a, a few of our customers together doing a full-on red carpet customer advisory thing in office and it was really really powerful for come for everybody to come here to see it but I'm curious uh, Lydia how have you done it and what have you seen?
8: Yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Lydia Flucchini and I wish with point Technologies. So for us, you know, well, first of all, our value, one of our values is community is everything. So that is the top value. So I would say in this last year and a half, the community has been everything. So we have 50,000 users. And what we do is we have regional user groups. So there's 38 and each of the heads. So we've, we actually went out to the user groups and said, you know, we'd love for someone to be the the user chair or head of the community that we partner with. So the leader, if you will, really brings their regional group together. So we have 38 of the user group chairs and the user group chairs are the what we call the make up the customer advisory board. And so Our head of community is very involved, and and the marketing team drives community engagement, so we're really that communication. I always say we're like the the handler PR of of our community because we're really bringing the community together. I mean, we're the ones that are telling the stories. We're the ones that are putting out the communications, but when I think of how we've brought them together, I mean... We are doing that through a platform that we use. I mean, I wish it was, you know, a little more sophisticated, but really encouraging interaction, encouraging uh, best practice sharing the same way that we are here. But the other thing is we bring them together um, very frequently to share, you know, what now we work with law firms. So what are their challenges? What's happening as you're taking them across, you know, a virtual distributed environment. But I will say that we just had a conference that was in person in um, just a few weeks ago in St. Louis. And the user group chairs that were there, we brought together and were able to interact with them. It was much more low-key, more of a roundtable, but fantastic just to connect. And we'll see them again in a couple months in October in Austin at another conference. But the, the big lead-up is going to be in March, will be our user conference, which will be in Las Vegas. So all of this is really building up towards that. But what we're doing, and one thing that I just wanted to mention when you talked about ROI is that... One thing that we definitely measure with the community and the customer advisory board is how many references come from the cab in terms of prospects that want to learn more about our product or solution. And so when that prospect or when that customer gives a reference, we track that so we can see how many instances is our. Customer Advisory Board willing to be an advocate for us. Hmm. And, And I will say that it's really interesting when we think about the impact that the community, that word of mouth, that reference has impacted our pipeline is huge. So for us, that measurement is key to being able to continue to just pour more budget and spend into the community making sure they have everything they need to be successful. And it's integral to how we are running. Um, really, I mean, I think it's it's the key to market, to the marketing engine, because it all starts with the customer, the voice, the customer, the stories. So it's a big piece of what we're doing. And I will say just one quick thing. I was actually on conference calls this morning at 6 a.m. working with GES and one of our uh, trade show exhibit companies, to try to get some of our exhibits out to Las Vegas, and I have to tell you, the half of the call was about how challenging it is right now to get the booths, to get the assets, and to even find the assets because they're working with half of the resources that they had prior to the pandemic. So I'm in a pickle right now about how we're going to make everything look good at the booth. <laughs> Hopefully, it all come together. But it's interesting to just hear about, you know, as we go to live events, what that could mean in terms of the vendors and companies we all work with and just getting as much lead time and certainly we didn't have a lot of lead time because the rules with vaccination changed so we're just trying to work as quickly as we can so awesome to be here so excited to be part of peak
2: all right thank you lydia that that's awesome i, I see any uh a question for you from Carthy. Uh, did you did did having such a strong community help you with hiring? Going back to the early point that Mike brought up uh, in the beginning.
8: Oh gosh, absolutely. I mean, the when when I actually just went through three inter, interviewed three potential AEs this week, and all of them asked about how much does voice of customer, how much does our community play into driving pipeline, how much does that build drive, uh, how much does community. Uh, go into building the brand because we want to tell the stories of our customers that help drive the vision of success for the future, right? For what that new customer could look like. And so in every single component of hiring, that question is always asked.
2: Wow. Like this, maybe the answer to all the hiring issues is actually go build a freaking community. And how oh,
8: people from that? Yeah. I don't know if Pablo's on the, I mean, this uh, Pablo Gonzalez is on here, but this whole idea of go to community
5: is yeah.
8: huge. And I think community is just propelling. I mean, truly propelling the sales, sales engine, marketing engine. It's, it's a huge part. So what, let me ask of that.
0: Are we talking about building your own community is driving is huge or sponsoring, partaking, investing in existing communities or both?
8: Well, I guess I would think of in, in terms of our, so I think that's twofold. One is our own, the community, what we call the SharePoint community. So we focus on um, our whole, you know, everyone that is a SharePoint customer, what we can do to help them be successful, how we build that sense of uh, of belonging, of gathering, of being part of something bigger and for us, because we're part of the legal space. It's, you know, how are we transforming and innovating legal and how do they do that? But then the second part is the extended community. So when we think of the legal industry and how that plays into all these different associations, which we are part of. So the conference that I shared with you that I was at a couple weeks ago, you know, being able to be part of that community and how we're all interconnected and learning from each other and supporting each other. I think that that was the the second way that I think about it.
2: I'm I'm taking notes on this one on, on the, like, I think we know, I, I know a thing or two about building a community, but <laughs> the, the idea of, uh, of, uh, of hiring and thinking about it in a big way, I, I think, I think something that I think most people don't think about, or at least I haven't really spent time thinking about.
4: You know, one of the things, one of the things that I think that all of this encompasses when we're, when we're talking about community is I think that they're, and I had mentioned this in some of my comments when we were talking about what we wanted to talk about on the session. And I think there's a really big misunderstanding of what the customer experience is all about. And I think community plays a huge role into it. I think customer advisory boards play a huge role into it. But ultimately, you know, one of the things that I've seen happen more often than not, especially this last quarter, is a very big misunderstanding from even some of the best marketers that I know, right? on what the customer experience is all about. Why it is its own space? <laughs> like there's an entire industry around this specific space of customer experience. And I think that from as, as marketers, the more that we own the customer retention side of the house, and the more that we own uh, the data side of the house, the more that we're empowered to be able to really leverage expertise, our team, and the information that we, we have at our fingertips to help the organization cross-functionally more than ever, And I think that the customer experience is center to really everything that we're trying to do. And every single business that I know of has a customer experience initiative and what goes along tandem to that and parallel to that, which a lot of people forget about is the employee experience. And we're talking about some of that with this hiring stuff. And I think that uh, you've got to address both in parallel paths. And I think that's why cultural becomes culture becomes such a big part of that because without building strong employee success what happens is you have failures on the customer experience side of the house
8: James it's Lydia again i completely agree which is why it is a value of ours and when we're in meetings and if there is someone for example that is thinking of a program initiative or making recommendations i we empower everybody to say is that communities everything is that really what is best for the customer. And we hope that everyone will speak up and say that because oftentimes things are rolled out that aren't, you know, don't make the customer the center of the universe and isn't part of the journey. And so, but you see that happen. And I've been in organizations where I, you know, you see it all the time, right? So I I think that the value plays such a huge part of the rubric of the way that we think about how we go to market, how we hire, how we, Do everything, and and it's hard. But but we try, right? Like that's what our that's what our goal is.
4: I also look at it as like you you all of us have had this experience. We've gone to a meeting and we have no idea what it's going to be about. No one put an agenda on there. We've gone to the meeting and we're sitting there talking about things that have no direction. And you leave the meeting and you have no action items. What I have seen um, this the time that I spent in the customer experience space and now like having focus there uh, as a CMO, I think one of the things that often is a huge gap is everybody wants to focus on the customer experience. Everybody wants to focus on the employee experience, but they very rarely are putting action and um, they're very rarely making people accountable um, for it. So let's, let's focus on the customer experience. Let's focus on the employee experience. Let's build culture. But then there's no accountability that, you know, top level leadership is giving everybody within the organization on doing that. So then you have a lot of fluff and a lot of organizations that are just talking about it and they're saying they're doing it and actually really not. And I think that that's part of how it, how it translates into, you know, I think that's one of our, our big wins as marketing leaders to own that process and help other leaders understand it. You know, as As smart as my CEO is, uh, he admits that I don't understand the customer experience. Like, I I don't understand it. Right. So we have to also help develop that education internally, which I think we're so focused on trying to do it externally that we forget that we have to get our own organization adopted to that to that mind
0: mind shift because it's a completely different mind shift. I know I know Sanger wants to move off, but I I'm jumping in ahead of him so I can go for it. it's just a little tale. So the other day I was on a community and I was in a conversation and it was a sales community. And the whole conversation was around when should a sales development rep at SDR get on the phones? And it was like three days, three weeks, three months or, uh, and the three weeks and three days were in contention. And some very famous book author got out there and said, I'm shocked that three days is in contention. And I asked why are you shocked? Because I happen to know you should have at least two to three weeks. So now I'm interested. And he goes, because just put him on the phone. And I, so we got in the back in this conversation and ultimately what I said was, here's the issue. You put them on the phone in three days. They don't know who the hell you are, what your value prop is, what your culture is, what you stand for. And all you end up doing is burning through all the leads that marketing gave you and leave a bad customer experience. And I said, and the problem is the reason you don't think about this is because there's not a single sales comp plan I've seen that puts sales experience, customer experience as a measurable deliverable as part of their compensation plan. So one of the things I tell all aspiring CMO experience, and you need to go to the CEO and make it a board level decision because it affects everything. It affects word of mouth. It affects churn. It affects all these wonderful things. And then you need actual both KPIs and OKRs to support that ongoing. But if you don't champion it, chances are nobody else will. They'll talk about it. But to your point, they'll never do it. So that was my little tour, my little story.
2: Yeah, well, I know this. This is Alex. You asked for a qu- example of hopefully that fits an example. I'll, I'll tell you one another quick example. Last week I was in Indiana with Scott Dorsey, who is the who was the CEO of Exact Target, and they sell it to Salesforce. And he was sharing something that it was incredible. Uh, he shared that when they hired uh, Peter McCorkle, who became the chief product officer, and, and now he runs another company, he promised Scott that as he comes into the organization, this was when exact project wasn't that big, say that I'm gonna he's gonna talk to a customer every single day. And Scott said, I just didn't believe that and, and you know you know who, who, everybody says that who owns the customer? let's just you know if you did a poll like who owns the customer? like everybody and the, the problem with everybody is that nobody owns it. We all know that and that' been a true issue. But as a chief product officer, he for four years straight, Never missed, unless he was on vacation or something, never missed. Peter never missed a single day talking to a customer. And that deeply informed what how the product of, uh, they, they were going and also deeply informed them and him specifically on where the customer is going, what customer really wants. This is another way for, for me to look at it is like if I and every one of the marketers on the call right now you don't have five to 10 of your customer's cell phone numbers and you're not talking to them regularly to see where the market is going and what's happening. And we're missing like a complete 360 because we have too many internal meetings and very few customer conversations with actual customers. So that, that's me being just last week. And I was like, wow, for four years straight, he talked to us every at least one customer every single day. It's great. I'll give you an, uh, one more example, if I
4: may. Yeah, I went on vacation last week. I did a, I even did a LinkedIn post about this. And I purposefully didn't check any of my emails. And when I came back, only after one week, I had over 1,000 unread, unread emails. 1,000, <laughs> okay? We're getting hit from all over the place. And it is a giant problem. To Daryl's point, Like, unfortunately, there's a lot of leadership that's 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 going to to market and they're saying we're going to have this be a sales led organization, which there's nothing wrong with that. But to Daryl's point, there needs to be a measure of of the customer experience layered in from an accountability perspective, because otherwise what's going to happen is exactly what Daryl just talked about. Exactly what happened to me last week, which is I even very clearly stated I was going to be gone the whole week and I had. Well, a lot of people that were hitting me up multiple times in a single week because of an out-of-office reply um, that was automated. And I think that's become part of the problem, right? So much of what we've talked about, what we what we talk about in this community is some of the human side of marketing. And I think that that human side of just business in general um, oftentimes doesn't get highlighted enough. And I think that um, from a sales perspective, we have to also help sales understand that, like, look, like your automated sequences that you might have in a specific platform, as easy as that might be, it likely is not the right approach because people will pay attention to this stuff now. I think that we have to, as marketers, because we have the knowledge and we have the data and we have the understanding more of the customer experience more than ever, I think we have to be the people that try to lead that.
2: No. You know, I know we got about like 10, 12 minutes. We never get to all the topics we ever want to, which is the beauty of being in the community because these conversations can continue to happen in the community. But one thing I do want to make sure we, which was like last time when we did it, this was the one that people got the most, like tremendous value off. which is what are you going to try? What are you going to test next quarter? What is it that's something that's saying, all right, you know what, this is what works. So we're going to do double down on it or this is something new that we're going to test. And again, I'll, I'll love for Mike, Daryl, uh, James and Kate, uh, Caitlin to kick it off, but after that, love for anybody else to just drop it in the chat so I can call you and then have you share those ideas, because that's what we all can do better at, is figuring out what works or what we can test. So Michael, why don't you kick it
3: off? Sure. So we're pretty excited about an initiative that we're doing in manufacturing and distribution. That that vertical for us is, is a pretty hot one. It's been a challenge because there's, generally speaking, low adoption there, but we were trying to break through the noise and try to really figure out how can we unify our viewpoint, not just kind of pound our chests on how good we are, not really just thumb the nose in our in our competitors, and certainly don't you know try to find a clever way to make your customers feel silly for not not doing something. And so we're super excited to what we're calling criminalize what we're calling gut pricing. And so we're, we're going to be putting into a, a bucket basically all of our competitors, as well as these internal tools that customers are stuck with today. And we're going to make, be making that the bad guy. This is not doing something like the old uh, Ghostbusters, uh, say no to drugs slash Salesforce, uh, you know, no, no, uh, no, uh, no software campaign. But here it's going to be a little bit more, we think, clever uh, as we're introducing it with other concepts that are pretty famous. If you're following us on LinkedIn, you'll see a couple of these coming above. little sneak peek. Uh, one is uh, it's a, a series of two, two cell cartoons that's going to introduce the, the campaign. It's uh, the Titanic. And there's a the captain of the Titanic. And he says, my gut says icebergs won't be a problem tonight. <laughs> and next to that, there's a salesperson. But the sales order says, my gut says we need a 50% price reduction to win this deal. We have others coming up with uh, General Custer, uh, Blockbuster, Netflix, uh, other things that are relatable. Uh, and we really are, are energized to kind of put the bad guy here as gut pricing in a quarter and kind of call to action that we need to defeat them. And so it's a new angle for us. and We're pretty excited about it.
0: Wow.
2: So it's like a mini series that you're going to run? Uh, and it committed for,
3: We committed to it for a minimum of uh, nine months. My early returns are it's going to be something we persist with uh, as an
2: identity through that channel that is awesome all right
0: well i can jump in quickly there's three things that we'll be doing in q4 that are of note from lessons learned so far in 2021 one is we're going to take our abm efforts into some very innovative use cases it'll be much more narrow and defined but further down the sales funnel uh, Cross sell, upsell, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that we're looking forward to, to 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 build upon what we learned and and to show it can be used in multiple cases. Next is uh, to uh, shall we say go h- hyper focused on our content, so it's super super segmented by very narrow niches, uh, so we can really get. You know, I'm looking more for quality versus quantity with higher outcomes, maybe a smaller number of leads, but bigger deal sizes, that kind of of content. So big time on the content. And then last is we're going very aggressive. We haven't done this in years on uh, competitive campaigns. To try Now that the budget's opening up, there's more competition. uh, People are actually evaluating their income investments. Do they stick with them? Do they look elsewhere? So you're going to see, you know, again, dedicated content, dedicated landing pages, us versus them, SEO, dedicated content about why we're better than them. So trying to go all in on that side. So the big push for Q4 is, is what we're looking at.
6: I would add in on that with Daryl we're sort of getting super focused on delivering campaigns for the construction vertical and really executing an end-to-end integrated campaign, really being specific on motions for particular NAX codes within that, you know, one for builder, one for architects, subcontractors, you know, et cetera, and really going after that. Not only with Intuit's been very good at sending messaging for each and one of their products products, but really presenting the whole portfolio is a bit of a new thing for us. So we'll be doing a lot to test that out and see what really opens the door first is one of the things that we really want to know out of all of our portfolio, what's the most interest. And then continuing that motion, not only for the broader mid-market, but going after a number of other verticals and starting the campaigns one after another, mostly at Intuit. This has been for very big products like Go Big with Money or something along those lines, but taking it all the way. Down um, to a specific vertical is something a bit new and different for the organization. So excited to make that happen.
4: I'll chime in here. The, the, the one thing that we're going to be doing this quarter is we're getting even more niche with our GTM, which is interesting because we were already very niche. <laughs> so we're getting even more um, with, with that. And the other thing that we're going to be doing is, you know, we've been working on um, developing a new website. Believe it or not, we actually don't use our website today. It's all on landing pages, and that's how we do our marketing. Um, so we're actually going to be um, doing a brand new website, and really excited to actually leverage a channel that is super important. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, do you have no website? So essentially, just a bunch they, of they got things. a website,
1: they just don't use it.
4: Yeah, uh, we do. We so the last. Over the last 12 months, our success that we've had at CRMX has been 100% driven on the landing pages and through communities that are specific to our niche, which is pretty rare that we've been able to see this success we have. So I, I know a lot of marketers out there are like, oh, our website sucks and like they use that as a crutch. Well, I'm here to tell you that that's a bunch of bullshit. So I, if I can do it, anyone can do it. Your website is not a, a, a cringe factor to what you can do as far as marketing goes. So we're excited to actually do something with that um, now
2: because it's going to be a, a game changer, I think, for us.
1: Ingram, what are you guys doing?
2: On our side, well, there are two things. We actually are launching, like what Michael said was really interesting. That's why I was asking a couple more questions there. We're we're launching a Muppet show. So that, that will be fun around the same experience of telling a marketer, they just hired an intern and it's literally a Muppet. So, so it'd be a lot more to come on it and it will be on, on TV and stuff like that. The other thing, obviously, I think some of you already know this, uh, we're launching a book. I'm writing this on go-to-market because that's really where we are seeing where the market is going to go. So this will be my third book and, and we'll just do a bunch of roadshows and events around it and bring people together on the idea and the thought leadership around it. But obviously, as we all know, it ultimately leads into aspirational marketers wanting to do better marketing and and thereby helping us close bigger deals. So those are the two big, big things that we're going to try.
1: Anyone got something they want to share before we uh, get towards the end here? I think Kunal was going to say something.
7: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Tim. Uh, So we are doubling down on, uh, you know, there was a lot of talk about customer experience, but we are doubling down on prospect experience, lead experience. A lot of effort goes into getting someone to your website. And when when that buyer journey happens and someone finally decides to write you a note and wants to talk to you, you can't take half a day or two days to reply back to him. Mm. There are automated emails and that's not personalized. So last quarter, we started an initiative. Internally, I termed it as a five-minute magic window. And the concept was that the moment you walk into a Rolls-Royce showroom, or a Louis Vuitton showroom, you can't wait half an hour or one hour for somebody to walk up to you and tell you that, okay, you know, what are you looking for? And the lead is so warm within the first five minutes, we did a dipstick analysis and we saw that eight out of 10 leads, they have a very good experience when they write to you. Even if they don't buy, they recommend you into their community who writes back to you. So we are going to double down on that experience in the next quarter.
3: Wow,
7: awesome.
3: I love that. i jump into the the customer experience thing. This is something that James and I were were riffing on a little bit before. And this kind of also pairs in one of the other topics we were gonna discuss, which is what's what's next. Customer experience to to me, I think the next way what you're really gonna see is it's not when they become a customer. And we just mentioned before, it's from the moment they see something like a display ad or a PPC or that first email all the way through that evangelical phase where you're hopefully making them into someone who's giving your praises out. Even the folks that have, that have left you, uh, who, who's going to have that holistic view from soup to nuts? Who's going to be making sure that even the bills when they come from finance, how is that being handled?
8: That's right. The
3: fact that that is not being unified right now, I think honestly does fall on us as marketers and it's going to be not an easy battle, but a one worth winning to make sure that our company is aligned to that vision and have someone. And it, I think it does have to be a person. And I don't think it can be the CMO. It has to be a part of your organization. It has to be headcount. Someone's job it's, it's to own that customer experience.
0: You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player.